0: Hey Grace Church, my name is Sean Sears, I am the lead pastor. Uh, here at Grace, and uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much for coming. I know that there are some other great churches in the area you could have been a part of, so we don't take it for granted uh, whenever anybody shows up here. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, we are in the fourth uh, and final week of our Treasure Principles series. The idea uh, behind this series uh, comes from a book by the same name, Treasure Principle, written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. Uh, highly recommend the book. Um, it's it's fantastic. I've done a mentor group uh, for. A few years and it's one of the required readings for the year is is that book it's 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 fantastic but the idea is that there's Four keys to mastering your money. And the first work, w- week, we talked about the freedom that comes from recognizing uh, that first principle that everything that I have uh, belongs to God and I'm simply His, his manager. Uh, the second week was about the heart of giving, and that is that I can find out where my heart is uh, by checking uh, where my money goes. And, and the other is true as well, and that is that I can redirect my heart uh, with with my With my finances, for instance, if you want to care more about cancer, uh, then then start supporting the Jimmy fund and watch how much more uh, your heart starts going where where your money is. Last week, we talked about uh, the security uh, that comes from giving the idea uh, behind this one is that I am either trusting God uh, to provide for me or i 'm trusting my ability to create wealth to provide for me but i i can 't trust God and money i can 't love God and money i can 't pursue. Both at the at the same time. In fact, it's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said that our money was the number one competition for God's God's place in in our heart. And this week we're talking about the tangible reward, uh, the benefits of living a a generous. Of living a generous life, um, I don't know how many of you guys remember Legos. As a kid, I absolutely loved Legos, um, and uh, but I, I liked—I I had Legos back before Legos had wheels, back before they had windshields and. Satellite antenna and different costumes for the different... I, I remember Legos before they had Lego people. That's how, that's how old I am. And every, every kid from back in the day with Legos knows that the most important Lego piece of all isn't actually a Lego brick. It's the big green piece. Now, uh, the big green piece isn't something that you can buy uh, at, at Walmart or Target any, anymore, you, but you can get it at the Lego, at the Lego store uh, in, in the uh, South Shore Plaza. You can still buy the, the big green piece, but the big green piece is like the base. And if you want to build a house, you have to have the base or else the house is, is worthless. And my mom and dad, when, when uh, I was in third grade, my brother's in first grade, uh, they had uh, given to us a bag of Legos by a family friend, and they we had one base. Now, why you would have... Two sons play with Legos and only have one base. I have no idea. Other say my parents must have hated us. I'm thinking, but you've got to have that green base if you want to build anything, you can't build a house, you can't build a fort, you can't build anything if you don't have anything to build it on. Uh, my brother and I have a complicated relationship and it may go all the way back to this event that I'm telling you about right now. In third grade, uh, I had gotten up earlier and I was playing with uh, the Legos. And uh, I, I had the green base. My brother was playing with the Matchbox cars. And you may or may not remember the little yellow tracks that you could put up on your dresser. you would hold it up there with books. And then, you know, you'd push your matchbox car off and it would do the -the loop-de-loop and then a jump or whatever. Uh, But he got tired of playing with the matchbox and he wanted to play uh, with the Legos. The problem is I had the bass. So I told him he could play with the Legos. And he said, well, can I have the bass? And I said, no, you can't have the bass. And he said, "Uh, why? And I said, because I had it first. Yeah, well, uh, I want it second. And I said, well, you can have it second when I'm done. He says, well, can I? Please have the lego Base and I said no, and he said, but I said please, and I said, but I said no, and I thought that was the end of it, but it wasn't. Uh, my brother, when I wasn't looking, walked over and grabbed one of those tracks uh, from the 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 leg, excuse me, from the matchbox uh, cars and unattached it and came over uh, behind, uh, it, you know, me. And my little droopy underoos back in the day. Some of you guys might remember underoos if you're, you know, you're over the age of thirty five. Maybe you remember those. But uh, so I was wearing my my Batman underoos and. Uh, he comes over with that that that, that floppy uh, plastic uh, match bar car track and then smacks me right across the back of the thighs with it and I screamed and fell on the ground crying and, and uh, it, was, it was pretty traumatic. He drew blood and everything and, and, and it was a big or even to this day it 's a story that gets retold in my family, but all of that came from the fact that both of us, even as a third grader and as a first grader, recognized the value of that base. Like, that's the most important piece. And the idea that you can't build anything good without a base is something that Jesus talks about in, in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And most of this series comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And... Um, G- Jesus uh, actually dedicated more time to talking about money in the Sermon on the Mount, the longest single recorded uh, sermon uh, in in the life of Jesus, uh, than than any other any other topic. In fact, throughout the whole New Testament, uh, Jesus talks more about money than he does uh, any other subject, twice as much as heaven and hell uh, combined. Uh, and and I, that makes sense though, because it consumes so much of our own. Our own our own mental energy, number one reason for divorce in America is financial problems. Number one reason why you probably can't sleep at night is is financial problems uh, We have anxiety over this it's a, it's a it's a really big deal to us that's why it's a, it's a big deal to God and Jesus gets to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about the the beatitudes, the blessed are they that mourn type of a thing and then he talks about uh to, you know how, how should we pray and he gives them the our Father and then right after that he's he talks about how that we're to forgive other people, and if we can't forgive other people, then God in heaven won't forgive us. And then he talks about uh, generosity, and then he gives us the golden rule, uh, you know, do unto others what you wish others would do for you. And then he talks again about the competition between, uh, talks again about money, uh, and then the competition uh, that money plays for the number one priority in our heart uh, with God, he gets uh, to the end, and he talks about the, the the wide gate that leads to destruction, and that that gate is wide because the the vast horde of people that 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 spend eternity separated from God, and he talks about the narrow road that leads to eternal life and the narrow gate and it 's narrow because of the few people that find their way uh, to faith in God He gets done with. All of this, all of this conversation about all of these different important things, and here's how Jesus wraps it up in Matthew chapter 7. This is the last thing He says in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how He concludes that sermon. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and then follows it, anybody who listens and then actually does what I said, anybody who rearranges their lives around the things I just taught you about love, about forgiveness, about finances, uh, about, about stewardship, about priorities, um, uh, about turning from sin uh, to find your way back to, to, to me. Uh, any, anybody who, who hears these things and does them is wise. You're like a person who builds your house um, on, on, on the big green piece. That's what you are on solid solid rock. Paul takes it a step farther, the Apostle Paul, and talks about the life that we build once we have the green peace. So having the green peace isn't all there is. That's not the end result. Uh, That's not the goal. It's the starting place uh, for us in our relationship with God. Turning from our sin, recognizing... Uh, that Jesus is the only one that God sent on behalf of humanity. He's the only one uh, that lived his entire life without breaking God's laws or being selfish towards his fellow man. Thereby, er, I don't get to use the word (laughs) thereby very often, but thereby earning immunity uh, with God on Judgment Day for sin. He offers that immunity to us in exchange for our guilt, which cost him his his life. Anybody who comes to that place and they recognize that only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection Fully satisfies the debt I owe God, and then turns from that sin and begin following after the ways of Jesus is made is made right with God. We're given that that green peace. Now live the rest of your life building on that green peace. And that's the idea that Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 10 where Paul says, Because of God's grace given to me, I've laid the foundation, the green peace. Uh, like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. He says, be very careful with how you build on this green piece. And he's going to tell you why that's so important. Be very careful. Verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, which is Jesus. There's not anybody that God has sent. There's nobody else that God has sent on behalf of humanity other than Jesus. He's the only one that God sent. Like, that's the only foundation. If you're not building on Jesus, you're building on sand, Jesus had said uh, later on in in Matthew chapter 7. Um, But because of God's grace given to me, I've laid the foundation. Like an expert builder. No one, uh, uh, no, now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other the one that we already have, which is Jesus Christ, verse 12. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. So there's different types of bricks. The bricks don't all look the same, and they're not made of the same thing. And these bricks are the different choices that we make on a regular basis. So every day I've got another brick to lay in the house, the life that I'm building. So every choice, every day is a new brick. And, and, and my entire life is, is the accumulation of all of the choices that I've made. And Paul compares those choices uh, to To bricks, building material, things that we're using to build our house on this foundation or to build our life. He says, if you've got uh, Jesus, then you're building on the right foundation. He says, but you need to be very careful in the life that you build now that you have this foundation. Because not not all choices are equal. Um, Not all building materials are equally uh, valuable. And that's what he's talking about. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, uh, and, and precious jewels, uh, uh, wood, hay, or, or straw. So you'll notice that the biggest difference between uh, those six things, that there's, there's categories of three that are, are, are valuable, and, and wood, hay, and straw, obviously not as valuable as gold, silver, Uh, and and jewels, but the idea also is that one set of those building materials are also combustible and the the other is not. So not only uh, do they have greater value, uh, but they also last longer. And that's exactly the idea that the Apostle Paul is getting at here when he says every single day you're making conscious choices that are becoming the life that you're building on top of this foundation. Now, not everybody here has that same validation. I get that. Not everybody every single weekend here at Grace Church in all locations is a devoted follower of Jesus. I understand that also. Now, while I believe that Jesus died for the sins of all of mankind, the only people who actually have that foundation to build on are those, according to Jesus, who have turned from their disobedience towards God, their selfishness towards others, to begin following after the ways of Jesus. And Then every single day, I make choices. Some of these choices are valuable. Some of these choices are are, are, in, are not valuable. They're, they're, they're worthless. Um, and he's going to tell us why it matters what kind of choices we're making. Back at it, uh, verse 13. On the judgment day, uh, the judgment day, that's the day that each one of us who have this foundation will stand before God and give an account for the life that we lived, uh, the choices that we made since getting this foundation. Fire will reveal, he says in verse 13, what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has value or not. And how is that determined? Well, for that, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount again, where Jesus had said in Matthew 6, verse 33, uh, Seek first uh, God's kingdom. Uh, seek God's kingdom first above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything else that you need. So every choice that I've ever made, every brick, uh, every every action, is either an action that I've made and recognition that God gets the first priority in, in our life and a conscious choice to do what is right. Or it's a choice that I've made because God was not in the first place and it was a choice not to do what was right. And on that condition, uh, the bricks I'm using to build on my green piece are either um, uh, combustible or not, eternal or, or temporal, uh, forever or, or, or for now. Uh, but there'll come a day when I stand before God uh, with the whole house of my life, and he'll try it by fire. And everything I've ever done uh, when God wasn't the priority and everything I've ever done that wasn't right uh, will, be, will be burnt up. Uh, but everything that I did with God as the priority uh, and everything that I did out of obedience to God will remain. And, and here's why that matters. Verse 14, if the work survives that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer, will suffer great loss. Uh, so we enter eternity with whatever is left after it's been tried by God. So the life that you live, since turning from sin to begin following the ways of Jesus, since turning from your disobedience towards God, your selfishness towards others, uh, to begin following the ways of Jesus, the life that I live creates this house that I've built on this foundation. I stand before God with the choices, the accumulated choices of my entire lifetime, uh, not even having remembered necessarily every single brick I laid, every single choice I made on on any given day that I've ever lived. But but in those moments, I was making a conscious choice, uh, right now what I'm going to do, right now what I'm going to do, right now what I'm going to do. And those choices accumulate to become my life. That's tried by fire. Every choice, every brick that I've ever made, that I've ever laid, uh, that was in obedience to God, with God as my priority, I get to keep for all of eternity. And every, every choice that I made, uh, every brick that I laid with, when God wasn't the priority or in disobedience toward God is something that I, I do without that was, a, that, was a, that was a resource I could have kept into eternity had I made a different choice, but now I've, I've suffered loss. The idea uh, behind this is what I've referred to in a, in a previous series like six years ago, The Dot and the Line. In fact, that's what we called the entire series, The Dot and the Line. And the idea is that while God has no beginning, that line for God goes all the way back and all the way back and all the way back, and God has no end, that line goes all the way forward, all the way forward, all the way forward. I have a beginning. My beginning was on January 17th. Um, now you're waiting for the year. Okay, crap. All right, anyway, 1970. All right, so I'm old. Uh, so like, that's, where my, that's where my life started. So I have a starting point, but according to the Scriptures, I, I, don't, I don't have an end point. So while uh, I start right here, my line goes like that with an arrow that just keeps, keeps on going. And that that my entire existence is divided into two parts, and they're not equal parts. The first part is this life right now uh, in a fallen, broken world covered in sin that I leave physically by death and enter into uh, my eternal existence without. And the Bible says that after Judgment Day that God recreates the world and and we we live both physically uh, and and spiritually alive without sin in the presence of God and those who also repented of their sin for all of eternity. And and, and here's the difference between the two, is that this one is just a dot in comparison to the rest of my existence. So now that I'm born, I'll never not be aware of my existence. I will always have consciousness. Uh, Right now, on this side of eternity, every one of us have the opportunity to repent of the sin that keeps us separated from God to turn from that, accepting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that pays off that debt to to begin following Jesus with the rest of our lives. If we make that choice on this side of eternity in this dot, we're given that foundation on which to build the rest of our lives. And if we've got that foundation, we enter eternity with or without the benefits of, of having made the right choice. The last part of that verse says this, the builder will be saved. This is the builder who suffers loss because the, the, the fire of God's judgment burned up everything that was in disobedience towards God over the different priority other than God. It says the builder, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames by the Hair of my chinny chin chin, uh, by the skin by the skin of your teeth. Like you, you made it because it's not the bricks that make you right with God. It's the foundation. It's Jesus that makes you right with God. And and all of the choices that I made without God uh, as the priority or in disobedience towards God, I'm not punished for because who was punished for my sin? Who was punished for my sin? Jesus was, so I'm not punished for those sins because on this side of eternity, in this dot, I accepted Jesus' punishment for my sin, so I escaped that judgment. I'm given the foundation, Jesus. No other foundation can be laid other than that one because Jesus is the only one who paid for the sins of mankind. Then the life that I built is judged by God, and anybody who has turned from sin to begin following after the ways of Jesus gets the exact same foundation, the only foundation that was ever offered for mankind, Jesus. So where we spend eternity is exactly the same in the presence of God for the same reason because we turn from our brokenness, our disobedience towards God, selfishness towards others to begin following Jesus because Jesus paid for our sins. So because of Jesus, we all of us who repent of our sin and begin following Jesus are, are given a relationship with God because we have that foundation. So where we spend eternity is the same. But how we spend eternity is completely unique to the choices that we made during this little dot. So what Paul is saying is this. Same thing Jesus said. Don't store up for yourselves treasures in this dot and then live the rest of this line having wished that you had fully leveraged this for this. Take as much of this And invest it towards this is possible. That's why Paul says, so be very careful. I'd hate for you to spend an entire life accumulating this fantastic, wonderful, however people would measure that, life only to stand before God and have it tried by fire and not have anything left to show for all of eternity for the one shot that you have. I think all of us are motivated that way in the same way. None of us want to waste the one life we've been given, which is the reason why Jesus said, so be very careful with that one life. Don't just listen to these teachings. Actually start doing them. Paul says, be very careful and consider the quality of the choices that you're making in light of Jesus' instruction to seek God first and and live, and live righteously. Uh, pastor Stephen in the uh, uh, Bridgewater, the West Bridgewater location. He's the pastor in in West Bridgewater. Uh, he told me about a fundraiser that his school did when he was a little kid. And in this fundraiser, they had they had five jars, and in these five jars, kids were able to put tickets. So you would get a dollar, you, uh, get a ticket for every dollar. So if you brought in ten dollars, you get ten tickets. And then you'd walk up to these five different jars and you'd make a determination on which jar you'd put your ticket in. You could put one ticket in each and then, you know, take your other five tickets and put them in one. Or you can put ten in one, put two in each, put five in one, five in another. You could do it any way that you wanted. I asked Stephen how he did it. He said he looked for the jar that had the least number of tickets. And he put all of his tickets in that one. Because if that jar had ten tickets... And, and he put his 10 tickets in on top of that, then he had a 50 50 chance of winning if that jar was chosen. If this ticket had 90 tickets and he put in his 10, then he's only got a 1 in 10 chance of winning. Then what the teacher would do is the teacher would put a slip of uh, five slips of paper in, in a hat, uh, one, two, three, four, and five, and she'd mix them up and she'd reach under that hat and she'd, she'd pull a number out of the hat, and whichever number she picked was the jar that had the winning ticket, and then she'd come over to that jar and that jar alone, and she'd reach in and she'd pull out one of the tickets. So if you had the most tickets in the jar that she chose, you were going to have the best the best chance of, of winning the prize. And, in, and, and I thought that was a really good word picture for the idea that we're talking about here. There's two jars, though, instead of five. The, the two jars, though, are labeled for now and forever. And what Jesus is saying is, is that you need to be, or what Paul is saying is, you need to be very careful on where you put your tickets while you still have them in this dot, in this, in this moment right now. Now here's the advantage you and I have is that God's already told us which jar wins. And the jar that wins is the forever jar. And so Jesus is saying that those who hear what I'm saying, if they're wise, will put as many of their tickets in the forever jar as they can and only put as much tickets in the for now jar that they need For now, that's the idea. There is a tangible benefit of managing my money, my assets, my opportunities, and my relationships God's way, which is why Jesus said, Don't store up all of your treasures, your tickets, in the for now jar. Because the for now jar will not get picked. Put as many tickets as possible in the forever jar. But my problem is that I'm distracted from the forever jar by the for now jar. I'm distracted by everything in the here and now that I can... I can see, feel, and, and, and touch, right? Like I, I just feel and touch of the same thing, but, but I'm 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 distracted. It, I'm I'm like the little kid that you walk. You could walk up to a kid and say, "You want a dollar now, or you want ten dollars next week?" They might say ten dollars next week, but when you start walking away without giving them anything, they get really nervous because they knew they could have had one dollar now. So they they say, "I want the one dollar now," and and we both know they chose. They chose poorly, and and I do the exact same thing. Jesus is saying, "You want one dollar now, or you want ten now? You want to live for like the dot is the only thing that matters, or are you willing to leverage the dot so that you can get the line, uh, like 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 hooked up?" And and I know the smarter play is to leverage my dot for the line. The struggle is that I'm right now still in the dot, and I can still see and feel. Everything now, and I'm distracted by that. And it's that idea that, that John, the Apostle John, Saint John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, where he says this: Don't love the world, nor the thing, nor the things that are in it, uh, the things that it offers you. First John 2:15, don't do not love this world nor the things that it offers. Uh, Offers you for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's like when Jesus said, uh, "You cannot love God and money at the same time." He says, "You cannot love the world and and God." Like it's, you can't chase both the dot and the line. You both, you can't, you can't live for your glory on this side of eternity and expect to enjoy joy, glory on the, on the other side of eternity. It, like, you're going to have to go all... You can't play it both ways. You have to choose. It, it's, you have to choose which jar you're going to live for, the for now jar or the forever jar. Uh, for the world offers only a... and these are, these, This is a description of what loving the world looks like. And this is what I struggle with. Uh, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure... Uh, craving for everything that we see all the stuff that we want and pride in our achievements and possessions uh, these are not from the father but are but are from this world and it's not that physical pleasures. We're not, God, Jesus doesn't tell us to be Buddhist, to deny all pleasure or personal emotion or feeling. Um, it's just that the feelings that we have are to be are to be submitted uh, to the will and in obedience to God. And it's not that I can't have things, it's just that the things that I have are to be submitted and to be leveraged uh, for the glory of God and in an obedience to God. Uh, and the pride and the possessions I have, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that you've done a good job in something as long as you recognize that the opportunities in which you've stepped up and done something well was an opportunity to bring God glory and to live more obediently uh, towards God he said these are not from the father but are from the world not that those things are but the love of those things that's the problem and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever ever the truth is you are going to love God or you are going to love stuff you can't love them both And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't love both God and money and stuff. You're going to have to choose. You and I have to choose daily who and what we will love, who and what we will live for. Now, love isn't a feeling. It's a conscious choice to serve. So you're going to make a conscious choice to serve money and stuff, or you're going to make a conscious choice to serve God with money and stuff. But you can't chase them both. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Um, I read this past week that if materialism is the disease, then generosity is the cure. If stuff is your distraction, then then generosity is the antidote. Uh, The Apostle uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 talks about these uh, competing ideas, uh, the fight for the for now jar and the forever jar. In in our heart. Uh, In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the love of God versus the love of, of stuff. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So there's he talks about two competing interests. So I have, uh, if 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 I have that foundation, then I have God's Holy Spirit. The Bible says who, who who now has sealed Himself in me until the day that I stand before God, rescued because of that foundation. I have God's Spirit in me giving me the desires to be more like Jesus, but I also have this sinful nature I was born with that I inherited from my Father uh, that gives me the desire to do the wrong thing. So Paul talks about, in my heart, there's two competing values. There's the Holy Spirit and what He values, and then there's my sin nature and what it values. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions, distraction-free or barrier-free. Like, it's not easy to do the right thing because I have in me the desire... For the Fresnel Jar. Even though there's the desire in me to live for the forever jar, I'm constantly distracted by the now jar. I, 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 I picture it in my head as that there's two two dogs in my heart constantly fighting against each other. The, the one dog wants to do what's right, the other dog wants to wants to feed my flesh, wants to wants, wants more stuff, wants more 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 pleasure and, and wants more pride and, and arrogance and, and self-centered conceit. And these two dogs are constantly. At fight. One one is pulling me. One one dog is, is, is fighting for me to become more like Jesus. The other dog is fighting for me to run from him as fast as I can. And the truth is, the dog that wins is the dog that I feed most. So you could probably look at your life right now. And if right now the wrong dog is winning, it's probably because that's the dog that's getting fed more often. And that's the idea that he's talking about that in my heart are two fighting dogs. One is the Holy Spirit who's trying to make me more like Jesus, and the other one is my sinful nature, which is pulling me away from that. The next chapter later, Paul talks about the consequences or the benefits of the right dog or the wrong dog winning. Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8, he says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy the sinful nature, dog, are going to harvest decay and death from that dog. But those who live to please the Spirit, that dog, will from that dog harvest everlasting life from the Holy Spirit. The truth is, each one of us right now are constantly choosing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and leveraging more of my dot for the glory of God and the good of others, which will benefit me for all of eternity. Or, I'm resisting what God's trying to do in my heart and I'm living for the dot sacrificing my forever jar. That's what I'm doing. The choices I make today with my money, my time, my future, my relationships are shaped by my intention to please God or to please myself. I make a conscious and daily choice on whether or not I will trust God to know what's, to know what's best for me. The idea, though, Is that you're going to pick one way or the other way. And you have something to gain and lose no matter what you choose. And that's what Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus said, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, those of us who have that green foundation, if you want that green foundation, if you want that, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and actually follow me. You've got to live like me, love like me, serve like me, and give like me. If you try to hang on to your life, I want, I want the foundation, but I want my for now jar full. If you try to hang on to your dot, your way, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Jesus said, you are either all in or you are all out. And I think there's too many of us, honestly, if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, are trying to manage God. We're trying to set the terms and conditions on which we'll be in a relationship with Him. In God is not bound to your conditions. You know why? Because He's the Creator and you are the created. I don't have to do what my dog says to do. It's my dog. I don't have to do what my kid says to do. They're my kid. I'm the adult. I get to say, I get to determine the conditions on which this relationship will operate. God's the exact same way. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you will give up your life, your dot, your for now jar, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. You get all of this in return. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's a guy named William Borden who lived around the turn of the century, 1900. Uh, His dad was, he's not related, William Borden was his name, he's not related to the Borden condensed milk people. He was uh, the son of one of the wealthiest silver miners in the country at the time, lived in Chicago. Chicago. When he was 16 years old, his mom took him to Chicago Avenue Church, where he heard a famous preacher named R. A. Torrey preach. Uh, R. A. Tori is one of the guys who led somebody else to the Lord, who led somebody else to faith in Jesus, who who, who led Billy Graham to faith in Jesus. Actually, that's kind of like the, the spiritual heritage there. Well, this William Borden heard R. A. Torrey preach in what is now the Moody Church, and he turned from his own personal sin to begin following the ways of Jesus. And his dad. Uh, was, had not made that decision. His mom had. His mom took him to church with her. Uh, he converted uh, to Christianity, became a devoted follower of Jesus against the wishes of his father who ha, uh, had booked him a ticket around the world to give him you know, some manly experience. And uh, uh, while traveling the world uh, without chaperone, <laughs> what was his dad thinking, uh, right? Uh, he visited northwestern China and he met uh, the Uyghur U Y G H E R the Uyghur Muslims and their their lack of access to knowledge about Jesus broke his heart. When he gets back to Chicago, he's bound and determined to spend the rest of his life uh, in 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 Northwestern China as as a missionary. Um, his dad sends him to Yale for his undergrad. He graduates in in 1909, uh, but then he enrolls in Princeton Divinity School and graduates from there in 2012. By the time he was 23 years old, he was uh, uh, on the board for the Moody Bible Institute. He was a board member also for the, for the uh, uh, National Bible Society uh, based in New York City. He had also founded and was fully funding the New Haven uh, Rescue Mission. Uh, all by the time he was 23 years old. He gets on a boat on his way over to uh, China. He goes uh, through the Mediterranean determined to spend a few years in Cairo, Egypt, learning Arabic so that he can communicate uh, the ways of Jesus to uh, the Muslims in northwest China and their own language. He travels with a Syrian family on purpose so that he can become familiar with the Arabic language, gets to Cairo, and uh, three weeks later, uh, con- well, d- well, during that time, he contracts uh, spinal meningitis, and three weeks later, he, he died, never having reached uh, northwestern China. He um, uh, left in his will all $800,000. Uh, of his of, of his wealth, which back in 1913 was an insane, uh, that's crazy money now, but back then an insane amount of money to the China Inland Mission, which was then used uh, for decades to help, uh, who knows how many millions of Chinese people come to faith in, in, in Jesus. His, his mom gets out there before he dies and was the only family member at his funeral. She found his Bible, uh, which had different dates next to it, next to different phrases. So in his Bible, he had written uh, the, the word, no reserves when he decided to go into mission work instead of, in, instead of going into business with his dad he wrote the word no reserves uh, when his dad told him that he would be excluded from the family business he came back to his bible opened it up and he wrote no retreat and then after he got to Cairo Egypt uh, he had and, and she knows when all this happened because of the date he wrote next to it but he wrote uh, no, no, no reserves no retreat and, and no regrets like that's 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 living your life for the line. That's leveraging your entire dot for for the line. There's a guy named Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in South America who, at the age of 27, he and four of their friends uh, were attempting to take the message of Jesus and his sacrifice for all of humanity to the Aka Indians, uh, where he was murdered, never having had the opportunity. Uh, and in his diary, uh, before he, 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 was, he was murdered uh, by that uh, aboriginal uh, tribe, he had written, He is no fool who gives up what he could never keep, the dot to gain that which he could never lose, the line. That's what it looks like, fully leveraged, all in for the glory of God and for the good of, of others. Um, there's a line in the movie Gladiator where Maximus says to his soldiers when he was trying to motivate them, he says, he says to them that what we do today echoes uh, in eternity. And in the exact same way, the things that we do right now on this side of eternity echo for all of eternity. And all Jesus is telling you to do is leverage as much of this as possible for all of this that you will have all of eternity to either enjoy or, in the words of Paul, or suffer without. My Uncle Roy uh, was a um, pastor who retired. He was... um, given the honorary title of Kentucky Colonel, which is the highest civilian honor the state of Kentucky gives a a citizen. And uh, Uncle Roy never had any kids, was really smart with his money. Uh, My dad was also a pastor and was his only nephew who was a pastor. So when he died, my dad thought that he was going to inherit uh, the bulk of Uncle Roy's estate. And and I knew this too. And uh, so I was kind of excited. I know that sounds horrible. I loved Uncle Roy. Nobody wanted Uncle Roy to die. Of course, that once he did die, we were like, oh, my word, what's going to, like, I might be able to go to college for free. Or, you know, my mom and dad's like, I might be able to buy a house. I mean, I don't know what they were hoping. But, but when Uncle Roy died, uh, nobody in my family got, Got anything. And and I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't a little bit disappointed, but Uncle Roy left 100% of his estate to the church he had pastored for over 40 years. I love that the very last thing Uncle Roy did on this side of eternity was to make one more play for that side of eternity. And I guarantee you, right now, in the presence of Jesus, Uncle Roy doesn't regret that at all. My family, we thought we needed that, but we didn't. We're fine. We just wanted it. It is my hope. Someday, yes, to leave something for my children, but I only want to leave enough for my kids so that they can be a blessing to others. I don't want to leave so much that they don't need to depend on God I would love, and I've already talked to my wife about this, and it makes me nervous to tell you guys this. I would like when I die for the bulk of whatever I have left to be given to start one more church. To give everybody else in some other town one more chance to find and follow Jesus. That will have been a life well spent. But I'll never get there if I don't spend the life that I've got right now better. And neither will you. But that's a choice that only you can make. I'm gonna ask you if you would please to bow your head with me. God, I'm thankful that you love us enough to tell us about the things that matter most to us. God, we live distracted lives, chasing the here and now, sacrificing the forever then. God, help us to recognize that there will come a day when we're gonna to wish to come back to this day and do it differently. And if we're wise, Dear God in heaven, help us to start making different choices now. That's our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus and we say together, amen.